You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hello, Resonate. Thanks for joining us today as we continue in this sermon series that we're calling Selfless. My name is Matthew Young, the site pastor in Moscow, and excited to get to be here today to look at the scriptures and see what God has for us. Uh, this whole sermon series, um, these four weeks, and I hope you've probably seen already the previous two weeks, that uh, this subject matter um, can be a little uncomfortable because we're talking about you and your propensity towards selfishness and how God wants to challenge us in that. And the scriptures are, are pretty challenging when it comes to that. And so what I want us to do is we, before we even get into the, the scriptures we're going to look at this week, I'd love for us just to say a prayer because whenever we're coming and looking at ourselves. And trying to challenge ourselves to, to live the way God lives, uh, would call us to live the way He wants us to do things. Uh, it's important for us to submit ourselves to Him and say, all right, God, I'm ready to hear from you. This is going to be difficult. This might be uncomfortable, but I'm ready for it. And so to do that, uh, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this prayer at any time. It comes from the Psalms. And uh, it's a great prayer to help you engage the Lord and be ready to hear from Him. It comes from Psalm 25. And it says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths, guide me in your truth, and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. This is a a cry to God to say, I want to learn your ways. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I want to learn what you're all about. I want to know the way that you would want me to do it. And so if you would, just pray this together with me now, um, and let's ask the Lord to teach us today. Father, show us your ways. Teach us your paths. God, guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today, uh, we want to talk as we continue to press into this idea of being selfless and thinking of ourselves less, not uh, thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less and and engaging what does it mean to, to do this in the way that God would want us to to think about Him, to think about what He's all about. And the the aspect of that we want to talk about today is generosity. And so we're going to talk about money and uh, and what we have and what we should give. And so just to kick us off, uh, a a quick survey, a quick poll. uh, How many of you would say, you can raise your hand uh, in whatever room you're in or wherever you are, raise your hand if you are rich. Now, I'm guessing, obviously I can't see you, but I'm guessing not many hands went up in the room. All right, so how many, go ahead and raise your hand if you want to be rich. If you had the option to be rich, would you say, yes, yes, I would like that. Yeah, so probably a few more hands, at least a few more. The reality is, is everybody would like to be rich. We all would like to be rich, and yet none of us think that we're rich because it's, it's kind of a comparison game. No matter where you are, you look around and you can always find someone who's more rich, at least is from your perspective, than you, who has more than you do, uh, who has a better life or has more stuff or whatever it is, seems more comfortable in their financial state. You can always find someone else that seems, from your perspective, who is. Unless your na- last name is Bezos, that's, that's the reality. And so everywhere we look, we think, oh, everyone else is doing better than I am. I'm not the rich one. Someone else is. In fact, there's a Forbes study that I read this past week. They asked 1,000 Americans between the ages of 21 and 75. Uh, they asked them, what is, it, what, is it, 
What do you consider rich? How much money would you have to have to be considered rich? And then just how much would you have to have to be considered financially comfortable? And they said from that survey of those 1,000 people, that's uh, to be rich, the average from what everyone said, that you needed to have $2.3 million to be officially be rich. And then just merely to be financially comfortable, you needed to have $1.1 million. I don't know who these people were they were asking, but uh, they didn't ask me. I would probably set the bar way lower than that. But uh, nonetheless, we all think, oh, I don't have enough. I need more. We, that is a reality of the human condition, that we think we need more. And so what does the Bible say? And we'll talk more about what we perceive as Americans, but uh, what does the Bible say about this? And so to look at this, we want to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your copy of Scripture, please get there. And I want to read, uh, starting in verse 9. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy is a, is a book written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a f- friend of his, a disciple of his named Timothy, who's, who's leading the church in Ephesus. And uh, the church in Ephesus is a church, if you've read the book of Ephesians, if you've read the book of Acts and seen Paul's journeys, he spent a lot of time with the church of Ephesus. And so he sends one of his top guys there, Timothy, to be there and lead that church. And as he gets to the end of this letter that he's writing to them, instructing Timothy and saying, hey, this is how you need to lead your church. Church, remember these things as you look for leaders in your church. And uh, and he's kind of hitting some final points here towards the end of the the letter. And he he says here in in verse 9, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the path and pierced themselves with many griefs. So as you read this, you see that he's he's giving them a warning and saying, hey, be careful. Be careful. You may think, even as you hear me as a someone in the church, I don't know what your background is or what your assumption are, assumptions are about the church, or maybe just anytime someone starts talking about money, you get a little like on guard, like well, a little nervous, like your defenses go up, like, what, are you trying to get my money? You trying to get my money? And maybe as you see Paul writing, it's like, oh, I'm sure he's telling him, be careful with your money. I just, because he probably wants it all. And uh, you, you, he just wants them to give it to him. And, and so, but the reality, you need to know that Paul loved these people. This is one of his, this church, the people, as he's writing this letter, he's going through the list of names that he met there when he started that church and the things he went through in that city. He loves these people and cares deeply for them. And so, and he loves his friend Timothy that he's writing to and he's, he, he wants the best for them. And so as he says these things, he's doing out of a place of care. I'm concerned about you. If you have the, a love for money, be careful. So many people, as he says, who want to get rich, they fall into this temptation. He says it's a trap. It's a trap. And that many who have wandered from the faith because they were eager for money, they've pierced themselves. They've hurt themselves in this pursuit of money. The way he talks about it, 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 he's, he's speaking with caution. He's saying, be careful, guys. Be careful with money. As, as I read through this, I thought about what are the things I'm careful with? Uh, there's a couple things in my household that, uh, that I always, well, for whatever reason, I just feel like I need to exercise extra care. Uh, the first one is uh, the Instapot. You guys have an Instapot at home? For whatever reason, I see that thing on the counter. And I'm just like, whoa, hey, easy now. Uh, I don't know. If my mom, she got burned by a pressure cooker when I was younger. I remember that. That sticks out in my head. And then when that steam starts coming out of that little valve, it's, it just is like a volcano right there on your kitchen counter. And I, it makes me nervous. Whenever I walk around, I was like, I hope that thing doesn't blow up my face, doesn't shoot that steam out of my nose. That would 
be terrible. So like, I always just feel cautious and uh, not to mention it's like this pressure cooker right there on your counter could be a bomb, you know, like who knows what's going to happen with that. I did some reading this week on Instapots and they have like this 10 step safety mechanism, or whatever. So it's way safer than I thought it was. So maybe I feel a little bit better about it, but that steam coming out still makes me super nervous. And so anyway, Instapots, like I always, I'm like, when I go to take the lid off, I'm like, let me make sure this thing is depressurized or whatever. I'm, I'm, I exercise extra care around the Instapot, extra careful. I still use it. My wife uses it all the time to, to cook dinner. We love it. You know, cuts cooking time in half. It's wonderful. But I feel like need some extra caution when using it. The other thing I, the other thing I exercise extra caution with is my chainsaw. All right. So I use a chainsaw to cut firewood. Love using it. I use it to help out my neighbors. Uh, I use it all the time. It's a tool that I really appreciate. Makes cutting way easier than having to use, you know, a handsaw or a, uh, an axe or something. And so uh, love using the chainsaw. But I also know that it's dangerous and lots of people hurt themselves with chainsaws. And so every time I go to use the chainsaw, I give myself this pep talk. All right, Matthew, you're about to use the chainsaw. Be careful. This thing can cut your leg off. Be careful. You don't want to lose your leg today. Exercise caution. Make sure you have your feet stable and you're on solid ground. You're not offset. Make sure you're thinking through what if this happens and that the log you're cutting on is stable and not going to roll on you. Anyways, I go through all these like pep talk and check checks and balances to make sure that I'm being careful. I still use the chainsaw. I still use the Instapot, but I know that I have to exercise caution or I'm going to get hurt. Paul's saying the same thing right here about money. He's saying, be careful. Many people fall into a trap. Many people hurt them, pierce themselves when they begin to love money and chase after this, when they want to get rich. And again, if we find ourselves wanting to get rich, we wish we had more. You have to be careful. And so I don't know if you ever had this fantasy of like, what if I had so much money, I could just put it in a big pile on the floor and just roll around in it. You ever think about that? You ever play out that fantasy? Yeah, sometimes I think, man, that would be great. But if I'm taking Paul's instruction here, then instead of thinking about money rolling around the floor and how great it would be, I just think it's chainsaws. Money is chainsaws. Be careful. You don't want to roll around in it. Okay? All right. So this talk about money, again, again begins to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And if that's you, if you're like, oh, yeah, this, I'm feeling some tension here as we process uh, money and what do I do with it and how do I handle it, well, I did some studying this week and uh, looking at different studies about different generations and groups of people in our, in our population here in America and in, in North America. And here's what I found, uh, that Gen Z's, we actually read this study together as a staff um, by the Barna Group, did a study that uh, Gen Z's, um, they want to be happy and they, many of them equate happiness with financial security. They said this, it's uh, half of, all, of 13 to 18 year olds. Um, so that falls within the Gen Z uh, age range say that happiness is their ultimate goal in life. And 43% of those say that happiness comes from financial uh, success. And so many young people find themselves, many of you may find yourself like, if I'm going to be happy, which I want to be, then I've got to be financially successful. Millennials, same story. Uh, although it came, the study I read, they go about it a different way. Uh, and, and they may be less aware of their desire for financial stability. Uh, 2017 Harris poll said this, millennials, which is 25 to 40. This study was done back in, in 2017, but, um, but 25 to 40 falls in that millennial category. They think happiness comes from relationships and family. So they like had a list and like, hey, what are these things do you find, do you think happiness comes from? And, and the top, top ones where they said, we think 
relationships are important. We think family is important. And later down the list was financial stability. The same survey goes on to ask some more questions about uh, people who are happy, gauge your own happiness, and then ask some other questions about their financial stability. And what they found was those who had the most financial stability ranked higher on the happiness uh, evaluation. And so same thing, millennials, the more financially stable they are, the more happy they are. Gen Xers, uh, this is the 40 to 55 year olds. This is, this is me and my homies. Uh, same thing that especially uh, over the last year, um, they found themselves feeling stressed about their current finances. Um, over half feel uncertain about their current finances and uh, over half um, find themselves uncertain about their future financial stability. And so we're all thinking about this. No matter what generation you are, we're thinking about this. And millennials with their side parts and skinny jeans are, are worried about money. And Gen Zers with whatever they're wearing uh, are worried about it. And we're all thinking about my, our finances, our money, and we're all equating it to some level with our happiness and our well-being. And so to take all this in, and if we're going to ask ourselves, how do we handle money? How do we not fall into the trap and hurt ourselves? We need to go back to who we are. If we're going to think about who, how we handle, how we treat our money, we have to go back to who we are. And we as Christians have to tie our actions to our identity. Our actions have to be tied to our identity. How we act out and what we do with our money, with our stuff, with what we have, has to be tied to our identity. So what is our identity? Chris talked about this two weeks ago, but uh, it's great to refresh. And if you walk away from this sermon series with nothing else other than understand your identity has to be tied to who you are, who you're loved by, um, and allow that to flow out in being selfless, uh, then that's, that's a great place to be. First part, God loves us. To understand your identity, you need to know this. God loves us. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3, 16, makes this very clear. For God so loved the world that He gave, that He gave. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have, ever, but have eternal life. So God gave so that we could have. God gave so that we could have. The second step is this. God loves us and his, his followers love people. So God loves people and his followers should love people. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he spent some time with his disciples, giving them some very intense teaching. And he says this, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So God loved us so much. Jesus loved us. And then he says, and I'm going to give you a new command. Love each other. Take the love that I've given to you, then share that with each other. As he has loved, we are called to love. The same guy, John, who wrote the book of John, who wrote these accounts of Jesus' teachings, uh, writes a letter to a church many years later. And we have that in the book of 1 John. And so 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this. And this is where we see that uh, God loves us. We're called to love others. So God, God's love is giving. So we are giving. Here's what, here's what John says about it. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Again, Jesus gave up. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Same thing that he had said back in John 13. We are loved by God, so then we love each other. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions, so you may be thinking, wait, Jesus said, or John's saying, Jesus loved us, laid down his life, so we should lay down our lives for each other. What does that mean? We need to die for each other? Well, he gets specific in verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, or the ESV says, closes his heart against them. Uh, the, the, uh, another translation said, shuts off compassion. So if you see a, your brother or sister in need and yet you shut off your compassion, you close your heart off to them, you don't, you don't care for them, how can the love of God be in that person? If you're going to choose to shut off compassion to your brother and sister, how can the love of God be in you? You don't get it, he's saying. You don't fully grasp that God loves you. Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. He's calling us not to just say, hey, love you, brother. But he's saying to do something about it. From the identity that you have, that you are loved, the, co- the command that Jesus is giving us to love one another, to put, put those truths and put the love into action towards each other. Back in verse 17, if you have material possessions, if you have some stuff, and you see somebody in need, you should do something about it. Now, again, many of us say, yeah, I get that, but I just don't have a lot to give. I'm, just, I'm not rich. And I want you to know that that is a, is a, it's a perspective. It's an American perspective. But in, in light of the, a global view of the world we live in, we, we need to take a step back and realize that we have much just a few statistics and, and truths, facts about the world. After, an adjusted, after adjusting for cost of living differences, a typical American still earns an income that is 10 times the income received by the typical person in the world. Most of us, if not now in the future, will earn 10 times what the average person in the world earns. Here's a few other stats. 57% of the world has running water. You take that for granted when you go to your sink and you move that thing and water just starts flowing. Where does that come from? Only 57%. Again, over half of the world, that's a lot of people who don't have running water, who don't have that privilege. And what do we do with our running water? We, we use it to make machines clean our stuff, to clean our dishes and clean our clothes. That's pretty incredible that we have that available to us. 45%, 45% of the world has a smartphone. So less than half of the world has a smartphone. I was actually surprised it was that many, but that's, that's, uh, that computer you carry around in your pocket, uh, you are privileged to have that, to have the finances, to be at a place in life where you can afford that, to make the payments on it or to buy that right out is quite remarkable. A lower percentage, 18% of the world has a car. Only 18% of the world has a car. If you drove to where you are today, or if you plan on driving to the store today, remember that when you get in your car and start that, turn the ignition or start your car, you are in the top 18% of the world. Here's, here's one that still blows me away. The number or the percentage of people in the world that have a college degree, 6.7% of the world. If you have a college degree or if you were working on it, you're on your way to being in the top 6.7% percent of the world's population. You're in the top 
with that thing that you are working towards. The fact that you get have the opportunity, that you have the time to be able to give to that, that you have the financial stability to be able to give that, even if you're taking loans, that you can uh, have the freedom to be able to do so, or, or getting grants or scholarships. Uh, the, the fact that you are in that place in life is a unique